It's a real honor to lead high school, middle school students here, Christ the King. And a little bit about my story. I'm a dad. My son is 14. I've taught high school shortly for a little while. I've been a geologist for about 15 years, business owner, coach. Uh, big, very proud that uh, last year was PTA volunteer co-coordinator at Walken Middle School. Happy about that. Yeah. Um, and as, as Pastor Grant said, it's true. When I, when I came here, um, I was a wreck. And um, newly divorced, and I'd sit in the back. Difficult times in my life. Then slowly started, Lord, slowly working in my life. And, and there was a time where um, they were talking about this middle school youth group flip side. And I looked over to my son. Hey, Kai, what do you think? You want to check it out? And he said, yeah, let's go check it out. And so I started helping in just a little small way and, and then had some years of the most fruitful ministry experience of my life. I grew more spiritually than any time in my life. And, um, and then it snowballed. And I love youth ministry. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you saw seven high school students get baptized who just came back from a mission trip. And the stories are amazing. And if you want the snot blessed out of you, and I mean literally, would you talk to me about joining our ministry team to serve the youth of Whatcom County? Because the Lord is doing amazing things here. We're in the fifth week of a sermon series, and we're looking at accounts in the Old Testament, but these are more than just stories. This is real people in real places in real history. You might find that the account we look at today, that this is your story. It's about Joshua, the guy who had way more than he could handle at the Battle of Jericho. But God provided just what he needed. Maybe that's where you're at right now. I need to give you a heads up that there's two versions of this story. There's the VeggieTales version. With peas and with tomatoes and, and um, pretty happy ending. And, um, and then there's the biblical account, which is intense. And we're not going veggie tales today. But I need to blow up this myth. And the myth is, God never gives you more than you can handle. It's completely untrue. Just look at the last four weeks of our sermon series. Noah had way more than he could handle. Build a huge boat, collect the world's animals, put a few people in there, and then save everybody from the cataclysmic flood floating on those waters. You look at Joseph then, sold into slavery, falsely imprisoned for being a rapist, separated from his family for decades. Last week, Pastor Grant talked about 80-year-old shepherd Moses, and God taps his shoulder and says, I want you to lead a few million people out of slavery Oh, by the way, it's underneath most powerful king on earth, but likely the most powerful army at the time. 
Even look at Jesus in his humanity. He had more than he could handle. When he was suffering for our sins, his betrayal, his trial, his flogging, his crucifixion, there was a time when he was sweating drops of blood and he prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. You know what I'm talking about if you've seen the movie Passion of the Christ. God allows circumstances commonly to come to people that are more than they can handle. I'm wondering if that's you today. Are you the single mom or the single dad and you're trying to put on a brave face but you have the shame that your, your kids are wearing the same clothes they did today as yesterday and the day before? Are you the student who's cutting herself because you're hoping that this pain will take away that pain, but it doesn't? Are you the one, and you're six months after the funeral, but you're still answering the question and trying to figure out why? It's a myth that we never have more than we can handle. But here's the truth. When you have more than you can handle, God provides just what you need. And that's the story of, Josh, of, of Joshua and Jericho. We've got to give some background. Jericho is an obstacle to the promised land. And back up a few hundred years before Joshua, God calls a man, Abraham, and he says, Abraham, your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars and more numerous than the sand on the beach. And Abraham, your descendants are going to inherit a promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. For us today, it's a land flowing with lattes and mochas. Is there one amen out there? <laughs> it's a promised land. But Israel, descendants of Abraham, they're not in the promised land. They find themselves in slavery in Egypt with way more than they can handle. They're making bricks without straw. Their backs are being broken by a tyrant. And God takes Moses and delivers them out. Takes them to a desert, by the way, parting the Red Sea. Takes them to a desert. This is a harsh environment. They're on the verge of starvation. The real threat of dying of thirst. And, and how does God provide for them? Water from rock. Bread from heaven. Manna. And for 40 years, God leads them through the desert. And Moses started when he was 80, and he finished when he was 120. And if I'm in the desert when I'm 120, <laughs> I got more than I can handle. And then God throws this little curveball. The people are stacked up on the River Jordan. Here's the desert. Here's the River Jordan. Across the river is the promised land. A few million people possibly stacked up right there. And then God says, Moses, you're not taking the people into the promised land. It's going to be your assistant, Joshua. I'm thinking Joshua's got this eyes gone big look, heart racing. 
That's how the book of Joshua opens. And the mission to take the promised land is impossible. The inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, they have home field advantage. They were monstrously huge. Defensive advantage in walled cities. They were battle tested. They had the psychological edge today. We say, we'd say they had the mo. Everything is going their way. They have everything in their favor. Jericho has these soldiers. They're called the mighty men of valor. Think SEAL Team 6. Jericho is the oldest city on earth. Long had defeated its rivals. Walls four and a half feet thick, 17 feet tall. There's a tower that's 25 feet tall. It's the earliest known fortified city in the world. It's also a center for pagan worship. There's old, old, ancient evil in Jericho. And Jericho must have had this reputation of being unsinkable, like the Titanic, impregnable. The inner walls of Joshua had stood for 2,000 years, of Jericho had stood for 2,000 years by the time Joshua strolls up to it. 2,000 years. I love this. God chooses chooses the oldest city in the world, most successfully defended, bastion of pagan worship, chock full of military experienced personnel. And that's the opening battle to go into the promised land. It's the obstacle right there. And God says, "Mm, I'm going to use a bunch of nomads to do that. So that's like for uh, maybe a group of homeless people today, and they kind of rally themselves and they're like, hey, I got an idea. Let's go take Fort Knox. It's mission impossible. But God does and will give us more than we can handle. So his strength is made evident. He gets the glory. And I want to encourage you, uh, Christ the King pastor Ryan Irvin, he wrote a, a blog post on CTK blog. I hope that today you go home, you read that post about how to handle when we have more than we can handle. It's on the back of your outline. You find the address there for it. It's so good. Well, Joshua has huge shoes to fill. He's coming after Moses, probably the greatest prophet of all time. I want to pick up the story in Joshua chapter 1. It says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. How's that for like the opening of a book? It's pretty intense. This book is well worth your study. There's some difficult things in here, but it's, it's rich. He goes on. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised Moses. So Joshua is next in line after Moses. I mean, Moses' face literally glowed at time. He spent so much time in the presence of the Lord. How do you compete with that? I get a little bit of that sense. See, I come after, I follow after 
youth ministry giant Brian McSwan. This is the guy who has 2,261 friends on Facebook. I'm a geologist. Literally, like, actually, as I, was, as I was writing this and rewriting it, I had to keep changing that number because his friends kept ticking up and up and up. And he probably has more than that right now. I'm almost sure of it. But last week, we saw that God, this is how amazing this Moses guy is. God uses them to deliver the people out of Egypt, millions of people. God does amazing signs and wonders through Moses. Moses receives the Ten Commandments. There was an Academy Award-winning actor who portrayed Moses in a movie. Joshua gets none of that. It's a tough act to follow. Here's what it's like. I want to put you in Joshua's shoes, okay? Let's say that it's 2006, it's the Super Bowl, Seahawks versus the Steelers. And let's just say the Seahawks are on the one-yard line, it's fourth quarter, there's 30 seconds left, they're down by six, the crowd is going nuts! And Coach Holmgren decides, I'm going to take out Hall of Fame running back Sean Alexander, and I'm going to put in you. Go get that ball in the end zone. Go do this thing. That's what Joshua is. That's where he's at. There was one thing on Joshua's resume. He believed God. It was a really thin resume. He had little to no battle experience. He had one successful spy venture into the promised land. There's no special education there. No higher education. His, his family is nothing special. Likely, he did not read yet seven habits, highly effective people. Joshua's face never glowed. Like, I'm picturing he's sitting there and he's asking his buddy, he's like, dude, do you notice anything? Little, no, nothing. There was one thing that qualified him. He took God at his word in a place when he had more than he could handle. That was it. And that's my question to you. Are you believing God in the place where you have more than you can handle? When you're struggling with money, will you trust him that he's going to clothe and feed you according to promise? When you feel inadequate, will you trust God's promise that he's going to give you everything you need for life and godliness? When your heart is heavy with guilt and shame because you've sinned again, will you trust God's promise that the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness? God provides what Joshua needs when he has more than he can handle. And before Joshua engages in this battle. God, I'm picturing, I have this image of God packing Joshua's backpack. He's like, all right, you're going to need a few things here before you go in there. He puts three things in there. This is God's provision, and I want to read, I want to continue in Joshua chapter 1. It says in verse 5, God says to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
I'll not leave or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And God packs Joshua's backpack with these three things. He says, Joshua, I'm with you. He says, be strong and courageous. He says, obey me or obey the Lord. And God's provision for your life flows from his presence in your life. You can be strong and courageous because he's with you. And just picture the the little kid on the playground, he's getting bullied, but then his big brother comes alongside, and now that little kid can be strong and courageous. It's because of his presence in your life. This isn't self-help. This isn't tell yourself, convince yourself to have strength that you don't have. Your strength comes from his presence. And then because you're strong, you can obey him. And the times in my life where I failed to obey the Lord were the times when I was the furthest from him. These three things are actually repeated like a gong throughout Scripture. Time and time again, David, when he's talking to his son Solomon, he says, Solomon, you're going to build the temple of the Lord. And this is Solomon who'd never even built a doghouse yet. And Solomon is told, God is with you. Be strong and courageous. Obey the Lord. There's a prophet Jeremiah, and God commissions him at a terrible time in Israel's history. And Jeremiah is told, God is with you. Be strong and courageous. Obey the Lord. And then there's King Hezekiah, and he's surrounded on all sides in the city of Jerusalem by this evil king, Sennacherib. And Hezekiah is told, be strong and courageous. God is with you. Obey him. It's God's word to you today in that place where you have more than you can handle. This became really personal to me two weeks ago. My longtime friend, my mentor, my business partner, Niall Hackett, died on the Skagit River in a boating accident. You might have read about it in the paper. I loved that man. And there's been grief and the, the shock and the, the questions. And it's felt like I've had more than I can handle. And what ministered to me and helped me so great is knowing, Brian, God's with me. I can be strong and courageous because he's present and obey him. And the presence of the Lord and his strength and obedience isn't a way to escape grief or skirt it or go around it. 
But God wants to be present with you in and through the grief. God wants to be present in and through the grief. Something I'm utterly convinced about. I believe it's better to endure the worst trial in God's presence in obedience to him than to have the very best life circumstance but lived in disobedience and apart from the Lord. So before Joshua engages this battle, he meets Jesus on the road to Jericho. This is, this is pretty incredible. We want to pick up the story in Joshua 5. It says this, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him, his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him. And says, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, same thing, by the way, that God said to Moses out of the burning bush. Take off your sandals from your feet. The place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And there's good reason to believe that this commander of the army of the Lord is Jesus the theologic word is theophany, and it's, it's an appearing of God on earth. And, and I invite you to look into that more, but I believe this is Jesus that's meeting Jericho on the road. He worships him. The commander says, the place where you're standing is holy because I'm present. And some really interesting parallels between Jesus and Joshua. The two names... It's the same name in different languages. And both names mean the Lord saves. Jesus, that name, uh, in, in the time when he lived, the Jews would immediately associate his name with Joshua. They'd have this image when they hear that name of this battle of Jericho. The same way that if you named your kid Michael Jordan, when people hear that name, there's that immediate image in your head. You're thinking, basketball, you're seeing flying through the air, his tongue's out. You're picturing the trophies. You're picturing the little uh, symbol on the end of the tennis shoes. All of that comes to your head. And, and when people met Jesus, their association is for Joshua. You see, Joshua brought his people into the promised land. Jesus wants to bring you into the promised land. And Joshua meets Jesus in the place where he has more than he can handle. Jesus actually, when he was alive on earth doing his, his earthly ministry, he walked in Jericho. When Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus, that's in Jericho. When Jesus calls 
tax collector Zacchaeus to become a disciple. That's in Jericho. When Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, that Good Samaritan is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, did Jesus ever, when he was in Jericho, did he ever kind of remember back the good old days, that battle of Jericho? It was great. I don't know. Maybe he did. Jesus meets you in the place where you have more than you can handle. When I first came to Christ the King, I was living under a rock. I'm newly divorced. My life is falling apart. I think I just have one nostril that's barely above the water. And it was at that place that was the time that I grew the most when I met Jesus and started walking with him. That was the time I grew the most in my faith. Drew the closest to him and found Jesus to be the most faithful. And it wasn't immediate, but it was eventual. And Jesus wants to provide all that you need. He's actually packed your bag. He's given you what you need to get through what you're going through right now. And I'm asking you to take that provision. Carry it. I gotta admit, God's plan to take Jericho, it seems absurd. And here's the battle plan. This is the Reader's Digest of it. Joshua, God tells him, March your army around the city for six days. Have seven priests with seven trumpets. Let's throw in the Ark of the Lord. On the seventh day, blow the trumpet seven times. Shout, walls fall down. Really? That's it? That's the plan to take the oldest fortified city in the world? Marching, screaming, trumpets? Like the people they did... They walked for about 40 years, so they were good at marching, but it seems like you're going to need a little more than that. I want you to put yourself in the mind of a soldier who's in the middle of this train wreck of a military plan, right? So it's, picture it, it's day three, March, day three. And I think probably where VeggieTales gets it right, there's probably people just laughing at them from the top of the walls. They're marching around. I'm picturing this soldier just clasping his sword like this isn't a good plan and just wanting to like draw that sword and start lopping a head or two. Just something. The way out of the situation that you're in, the one that's more than you can handle, cannot be scripted or predicted. And God's provision to get you what you need is often unexpected. There's parts of my story that seem absurd. Because who knew that 15 years after the mentor who hired me as a geologist would be the first funeral I officiate as a pastor. This is why obedience is key when you have more than you can handle. And the temptation is when, when things get really tough 
We tend to use that as an excuse to rebel or to sin, like, I deserve this. But in that place, that's where God calls for obedience, and that obedience is part of our provision, and it flows from the strength that we have because we're with Jesus. God's victory is complete in Jericho, and this is where it gets difficult. And this is where I debated whether to go VeggieTales or not. God instructed Joshua to completely destroy everything in Jericho. And that means every man, woman, and child. Except for Rahab the prostitute and her family. She helped some of Joshua's spies a little bit earlier in the story. Really, God? Everybody? The common question. How about the kids? Could you spare the kids? There was a man, one of the soldiers of of Joshua's, and at the end of the war, he kept some of the, the spoils. He kept some silver for himself, maybe a souvenir. He was found out. He was instructed to be stoned to death. There's difficult parts in the Bible. There's difficult parts in this story. Sometimes people read it and it's more than they can handle. But just background, there was old, ancient, persistent evil in Jericho. God long extended his patience to them. And he decided enough was enough. Thousands of years of idolatry in the promised land among the peoples there. And some of the practices were horrific. Prostitution used in the worship of these false gods. Child sacrifice. People would burn their sons in a fiery altar in worship of a false god. How's this for irony? The true and living God sacrificed his son Jesus on a cross because of people who were sacrificing their sons in the fire to a false God. Things in in, in scripture that are difficult. But even if you look at the past sermon series that we've been going through, Look at the fall of Adam. One sin. And all of mankind falls. Look at the complete destruction of all living things on earth except for the few that Noah is able to preserve. In Egypt, look at the death of the firstborn children except for the ones whose house had blood painted on it. In Jericho, it's the destruction of every man, woman, and child, except for Rahab the prostitute. And the 8.30 service today, in the meeting place, as I'm preaching at this part right now, a woman has a heart attack, and she has to be taken away in an ambulance. And don't tell me that we never have more than we can handle. Tough things in scripture, but 
I'm asking that you use these difficult things to drive you closer to the Lord. That you'd get more on your knees, that you'd humble yourself more and, and pray, Lord, would you reveal yourself and be honest with them? I don't get it, Father, but would you show me? Seek him all the more. And in your difficult circumstance, use that as a time to seek him all the more rather than being driven away. And the reason is, is because at all times, in all circumstance, God is always all-loving and always all-just and righteous. It's not like he wears different hats. It's not like he says, today I feel mean, so I'm putting on my mean hat, and I'm going to pull up my computer and just start hitting the smite button. And I feel loving today. And I just want to love you guys. I feel nice today. It's not it. God always is all loving. Always righteous. Always just. In your circumstance right now that you don't understand and you don't get. As I was waiting on the river edge and they're looking for my friend at that moment... God is all-loving and all-just. And the other thing about Jericho is, is the Lord wanted a complete victory there. The Lord wants a complete victory in your life. He's not content with you loving Jesus a little bit. He's not content with you liking Jesus. He's not content with a little bit of sin in your life. If you think of the victory in Jericho as what the Lord wants to do in your life, and that He wants to completely have a victory in your life. And it's not, He's not leaving you out there to get that, but those impossible things that you think, I can never get beyond that. The victory is the Lord's, and it's His strength. And he gets the glory. And Jesus says the greatest commandment is this. This sounds like complete victory, doesn't it? If this was the character of your life, Jesus says the greatest command is to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. I want to conclude, I want to leave you with the same words that Jesus left with his disciples. This is what he packed into their backpack. Because he knew he was going to go to heaven, and then he was going to leave this ragtag group of 12 disciples, responsibility of world evangelism. This is what Jesus tells them. And by the way, this is the same Jesus whose great, 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 great grandmother was Rahab the prostitute who was saved from Jericho. How cool is that? And this Jesus says to his disciples, and this Jesus, the greater Joshua, he says to you in the place where you have more than you can handle, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In Matthew 28, he says, fear not repeatedly. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command in John 14. And it's the same gong that's been ringing in Scripture. And it's what God has for you right now 
right now in the place where you have more than you can handle. Would you guys pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're greater than Joshua. That, Lord, you can do in our life, you can have a complete victory in our life, that that your presence is enough that from that presence, we can be strong and courageous. And I'm praying for the people here right now, and they need that word. Lord, would you come and be present with them? Praying this week they could be strong and courageous. Would you give them what they need so they can be obedient to you? Lord, you know our hearts. You deeply love us. We're thankful for your provision. I'm praying this is be this would be made real in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.